Thank you for tuning in to Calm After the Storm, Survivorship and Other Stories with Amy Syed. This episode is brought to you by 15minutesaday.ca. Today, we are going to talk to someone who's got a harrowing story about survivorship and thriving thereafterwards. We do want to start by sharing a content warning. Information shared in our podcast can be graphic in nature. We do recommend you review the details of our podcast before tuning in. We appreciate you tuning in, and we hope that the story shared with you today is inspirational and helps you get through tough times that you may be facing. Welcome again to Calm After the Storm. Welcome back to Calm After the Storm. Today's podcast is with my friend and colleague, Danielle Lewis. Danielle is an amazing community member. She is a champion for women in business. Uh, I've met her through networks that we both share. And Danielle has always been quite inspirational to me because she brings with her a feeling of abundance and shares everybody's businesses, promoting other people in the community, and has made a great impact on many women's lives here in Toronto. Danielle, thank you for joining us today and welcome. Can you please take a few minutes to just introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your business? I'm a graphic designer, the owner of Danielle Lewis Designs. I have two little boys. Uh, One is almost three and the other one will be seven in August. I work from home. So this whole COVID thing has uh, not really shook me in terms of my business because this is my office. And uh, so it's been really good that way. It's actually been nice to have my older son around. Community, as Amy said, is really, really important to me. And I love supporting all the local businesses and especially the women-led businesses in this community. And thank you for having me. It's, It's such an honor to be on your podcast. Well, I appreciate it. And I, and I love your story. And I, I, I'm going to kick off by walking you through a little bit of what listeners are probably used to hearing by now, which is talking a little bit about your childhood and how life was when you were growing up. As a kid, I, I actually never felt like I really fit in. And I was highly sensitive, uh, very intuitive, So by nature, I guess, a very, very much an old soul. And as you can imagine, for a four-year-old, that's not really, it doesn't lead to great things. And so I always felt like I was sort of on the outside. And it wasn't until I was probably about 10 or 11 where I realized that I could leverage this sense of intuition and um, carve my own path. And it's only as I've gotten older that I can look back and see that the struggle and adversity that I felt like I had was actually a blessing in disguise. And it's my authentic self that I live now today. That's amazing. Can you talk a little bit about the intuition piece? Because I think a lot of uh, what you're saying resonates with people who are listening. So this feeling of intuition as a child feels much different than it would for an adult. Can you describe that a little bit for me? So being that I'm highly sensitive, I um, am very empathetic. And so being around people, I would always feel their emotions. And as a kid, that's really scary. But I would call people out on them 
And as adults, as you know, as you can imagine, a lot of adults are not in tune with their feelings. And I was always discounted and told, you know, there's nothing wrong or I'm okay. Um, The people made me feel like I was in a sense crazy. And what I was perceiving and feeling was not in fact there. So it was really interesting, actually. And it it actually made it hard to be friends with people because I tended to gravitate to the people who are very shy. Mm -hmm. And so by nature, I would draw out the best qualities in them. But again, this is not something that is very, that small kids have. And so I would make friends with people very easily, but I was also very shy, I I guess, because when I met people, it was very heavy in a sense because I would feel all their things. And so the intuition piece, I think it, it came about knowing that. I, I was sort of guided now looking back, guided to these people and, and, and helped them and made a difference in who they were. And it wasn't until I was um, much older recently that I realized that a, a lot of the people that I became friends with, they moved away. And so I was friends with them. And then all of a sudden it was like, you know, as you're, when you're a little kid, you have this best friend mm-hmm. and then they were uprooted. But now looking back, I see that it was part of their journey and it was part of my journey. And so it was almost like I intuitively sought them out or they sought me out. And I was that sort of guiding light. And then I was able to help them. And then once everything was good and I served my purpose, so to speak, it was like magic. They had disappeared and they yeah. were like, they people moved. Like some of my friends moved cities others move provinces. And so it wasn't like I could remain in contact with them. They were gone. And as a kid, it was really, it was really hard. I felt like I had this whole complex and felt like people were always leaving me and I was afraid to be left. And so, yeah, it's a lot of heavy things that happened as a kid, but then made me who I am today, really. So it kind of laid the groundwork for for the things we're going to talk about today. And uh, so going into your teens and into your 20s, what did that look like for you? It was also really interesting because I didn't fit in. Everyone was, you know, doing what teens do. They were hanging out and they were going to parties and they were drinking and they had boyfriends and it wasn't, that wasn't my thing. And so it was really weird for me, obviously, like, you know, like every teen, you have crushes on people, but I never really fit into that. But then when I finally did start dating, it was like, it took on this adult level again. For me, it was like, it was all in. And it's interesting because I feel like, again, it was one of those things like looking back on myself. There was so much going on and so much that I was learning, but as a teen, it I, like I didn't I really didn't fit in with my peers and but I started journaling for myself and mm. that helped. And there was a message that I always wrote to myself and that was for reality to reveal itself, you must first believe. And I wrote that as a teen, maybe 15 or 16, mm-hmm. and I don't think I quite understood what that meant at the time or maybe I did. But it never left. It never left me. And it was something like, I guess, a mantra that I kept repeating to myself, this affirmation that no matter how hard something got, 
um, knowing now as an adult what that really means, it's so interesting. It stuck with me and it's sort of been the my way out of the dark every single time. That's amazing to hear. Can you talk a little bit about how life was when you met your husband? So we met at work and he's actually 16 years older than I am. And um, I remember at the time, not really thinking much of it. We became friends. We were friends for about two years. And uh, he asked me why I wouldn't hang out with him. Mm -hmm. And this common theme, I said, I'll, I'll fall in love with you. That's yeah. what, why I can't hang out with you. And <laughs> and at the time, I think I was just not ready. Like emotionally, my mind was always light years away. Um, someone recently asked me if you could be any age, how old would you be? And I said 40, which is older than I am. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's because that's I'm an old soul. And so it took a lot of time for me to actually come to terms with the fact that I liked him. And then we went on our first date and that was, you know, it was history from there. But we both, we both shared this common thread that we wanted to have kids and it was really important for him. He wanted to have children. And because even though I was 21, when we first met, I was ready to have a family and I was ready to settle down and I wanted nothing more than to be a mother. And so, so it actually, it fit it fit really well. It's like the universe led me to him. Even once I could get past the fact that he was older than I was, um, we very much aligned that way. So it was really interesting. And that's really interesting. I I always joke around with my kids, especially my daughters and tell them you should always marry somebody who's older than you. Because (laughs) I feel like over the years, like now I'm, I'm turning 42 this year, but over the years, you, you hear from many different people from different walks of life and around the world say that because women mature faster than men, um, there should always be that gap between men and women. So it's really cool to hear that you were drawn to each other and that there's this love story behind it, right? Where you guys probably intuitively knew each other were the right person. And now how long have you guys been together today? Been together for 14 years. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. That's beautiful to hear. So so once you guys got married, um, when did you first start trying to have children? We actually got married five years ago and my son's going to be seven. So we got married late in the game, but we knew that we wanted to start trying. And for, for us, it wasn't as important to be married first. Yeah. And we started trying and it took us about four years before we actually realized that we weren't conceiving naturally. It was a long time of trying before we realized that maybe there was something not right in that case. So what did you do next to investigate that? So uh, reluctantly, we went to the doctors and it started with me and the doctor. um, They gave us a requisite to go to fertility clinic. And so we both went and we got blood work done. And it was really interesting because here we thought, this is the only shot we get to find out what's actually going on. The doctor walked in and she sat down and she said, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. Uh, if you would have come to me 10 years from now, I was 27 at the time. She mm-hmm. said, I would have told you it was too late. So again, a blessing in disguise. 
here I wanted to have a start a family early and we tried early. And if we had waited till today, I'm 36 now, Mm -hmm. I would have had no chance. So we found out that both of us had issues, but I have a very low ovarian reserve. And so technically, even though I'm 36, I am in perimenopause already. So that's what we found out. And it, it turned out that once we knew what was actually going on with both of us, we got pregnant quite easily. So what happened? Like, do, did they give you drugs? Like, what was the process that you went through? So in their case, they, they explained what they thought was wrong. Um, and then they said, we'll try a medication and then an IUI, which is like it's artificial insemination, but it's not egg retrieval. And so in my case, they gave me drugs that was supposed to boost my egg count in order to yield more eggs and ovulate at the proper time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then they would just time the, like, let's call intercourse, but it's not. And then they do it um, for you. So we, that first round, we actually got pregnant. And so that was really interesting because here they didn't think that we were going to get pregnant at all. And when we got pregnant, they, they told us we didn't think that this was going to happen. So that was interesting. But unfortunately, we were so excited because we had tried for so many years. We told everyone, we told everyone. And when you're followed as a, as a fertility patient, you get ultrasounds early. So earlier than around the time when most people are finding out they're pregnant because they've missed their period. Yeah. You go in and you have this ultrasound. So anyways, we had a blood test that they take and then they say you're pregnant and then they monitor you, make sure that your levels are doubling and, um, and so that you can continue. And then they book an ultrasound for you, an early one, just to make sure that everything is, is right. And so you're followed very closely, which Mm -hmm. is interesting. But at that point we found out a few weeks in, it was about six and a half or seven weeks that they said that the motility or the development of the the fetus at that point of um, was not where they felt it should be. Okay. And so they warned us that we may, we may have a loss. And oh, so I'm I was going in, that. I was going in every week for monitoring, which again was weird, right? You're, you're told that you're pregnant. Then you're told that there's potential that you may lose the baby. And then they want to see you in further, right? Sorry, I just want to pause for one second because I think it's really important for the listeners that 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 follow us to understand if you can walk us through what you were feeling and you know the the emotional roller coaster that you actually were on, right? Because I think that adds value to what you're yeah. describing right now. An emotional ro- roller coaster, indeed, it was. I went on that, this extreme high, right. Not being able to get pregnant for so long and then it happening all so quickly. And with the hormones that they jack you up on, my emotions were running very high as well. And, uh, I remember like now looking back, having two kids, you know, when you start, when you're early pregnant you start to do really weird things. Right. And I remember doing these weird things and not really understanding what was going on with that, but it was the hormones. And so this whole experience after they had told us, there's maybe a chance that this is not going to be a viable pregnancy. It was just like this wave of emotion and worry came, came over me. And then to be monitored and then to be let, 
them to tell us that we had lost the baby. Um, but naturally, like, again, because it's very early, someone could get pregnant in theory, mm-hmm. have a couple weeks that they're late and then they miscarry. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it's a late period. Yeah. But my body did not want to let it go. And oh, so because of the hormones that they were giving you? Not sure. It's okay. not in not in every case that this happens, but then I had to take medication for it to to induce a miscarriage, oh. which was terrible. But the whole time is and then and then so after that fact, it was then having to share that with everyone that we shared that great news with. Yeah. And so it was a pretty dark time. And at the time I was also nannying for kids. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I remember like um, vividly, we, we planned a trip to the zoo with them Yeah, and um, we didn't want to let them down. Here I am thinking that my miscarriage was done and we're at the zoo. So we're mm. walking around the zoo in the heat. And then it hit me that I was actually not done this whole process. And so I had to put on this brave face as I'm having, like, now that I know what birth, giving birth is, I was having like full on contractions. Oh, wow. And in labor, um, during, uh, during our visit to the zoo, and oh my having gosh, four, Danielle. four small children with us wow. saying like, excuse me, I need to just excuse myself for a minute. But it was like, only now I can look back and see that that was actually what was going on. But we managed to hold it together as women do for the sake of having this fun time at the zoo. I know. I think that after that, like once we came down from all of it, we still really didn't know where to place any of it. We were in denial for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, became this dark period but the fertility clinic ironically was like if you'd like to try again like we could start trying again right away but something told me my intuition told me to go see a chinese acupuncturist okay he was amazing whenever you refer to your intuition how how does your intuition speak to you like can you describe to somebody who maybe doesn't understand what you're saying did you go into states of meditation like can you talk to me a little bit about that at that time, no, I wasn't, I wasn't doing any meditation, but it's like signs would come up mm-hmm. and I would have these feelings of knowing that I was meant to go somewhere or to do something. And as irony would have it, the fertility clinic was actually on the same floor as the, the Chinese acupuncturist. Oh, interesting. And so they were part wow. of another, they were part of another, um, fertility clinic that was in the same building, Mm -hmm. but they did, uh, so something told me to go there. And so I went and, uh, she gave me a completely different, uh, outlook. And she said, look, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. We're going to clean up your body. And I will tell you when it's time for you to try again. So it was interesting because talking about intuition, that's where I really honed in on it because she would put needles into me and I would have to lay there. I had nothing but time to think, but it was just interesting because I felt like that's when I actually started meditating without realizing at the time, that's actually what I was doing. It was going into this state where my body was completely, it felt separated from my mind and things, information would come to me. And it was like, 
every person who had passed on from my family was there to protect me. Yeah, it was a very much an out of body experience, to say the least. But I think that's when it actually uh, started to hone in on what I actually the ability of my intuition Mm -hmm. at that point. Yeah, yeah. It sounds really, really powerful. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in my personal experience, I've had similar types of experiences. It's hard to speak about it openly in public with the general populace because, you know, oftentimes you're worried about what people would think of that. But I feel that there's a very strong theme of intuition in your Mm -hmm. uh, description of what happened to you. And I think that's important to continually highlight throughout the podcast today, because I believe everybody has it, but some people are just more tuned in than others. Yeah. If that's fair to say. Yeah. So what happened after that? Did they tell you when you were ready? So she did. It took about... Uh, that happened in July mm-hmm. and I was ready to try again in December. And it's funny because she, the, the Chinese acupuncturist, it was like, she was going on her intuition as well. And she would check my pulse, but it was almost like she was feeling the energy of what was going on within me. Mm-hmm. And then she would put all these new, the needles in. And it was, it was so interesting to watch, but it was like, she, I was telling her, what she needed to do based on my energy. Yeah. And so in December, we went back. And in between then and December, we had a meeting again with the clinic. And we were to meet with the IVF doctor. Okay. And again, that doctor came in, it was a different one than the first. And he said, I'm not going to sugarcoat this, you're not a candidate for IVF. Mm -hmm. And so both of us were like, what do we do with that? And they said, he said, but we didn't expect you to get pregnant in the first place. So you have that going for you. Uh, So he said, okay, so we're going to chart uh, a plan for you. I advocated for myself and I felt like maybe the medication was, it didn't work for me. Like it was too much. My body has never responded very well to uh, alcohol or medication. Interesting. So I think like knowing at a very young age that I didn't drink because it didn't, it didn't agree with me. Um, it sort of allowed me to know what my body needed. Mm-hmm. And so I listened to that and I said, can we try one round without a, any medication? And he looked at me like I had three heads. And yeah. He said, okay, fine. I don't think that's going to work for you, but fine. If you want to do one, I will let you try one time, one round. And I still have the paper to, to, you know, that documented that he said, this is your plan. So one round, no medication. If you don't get pregnant, here are the other subsequent rounds. We will reassess after three because in the fertility world, it's not, it's not uncommon for someone who's given an an IUI um, schedule to try and not, you know, and not conceive. They do multiple times, multiple months, and it doesn't work, right? Okay. So he allowed us to do one and we got our first son out of that. Oh, really? So, so so how long did it take you to get pregnant this round? It was literally right away. Wow. And, and I knew before, so they, so they give you the, you do the IUI and then they give you a date to come in and take your blood test. It was over the Christmas break and something told me like very early on that I was pregnant 
and I was journaling and I just had this feeling. And so on Christmas day, we actually took a test and it was before the blood test Mm -hmm. and, and we were pregnant. So we were, like I said, like in, in this fertility journey, like despite all of this adversity, yeah, two, like we were two for two. And then with my third, with my second son, um, we were also, we went and that first round we got pregnant. And so again, the you same didn't, protocol. yeah. Okay. So you, so you had the, the Chinese acupuncturist involved and, and you were, you were using that as kind of, I guess your support right through that yep. whole process. Yep. Well, congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. And you, your two boys are healthy and happy and uh, both home with you during this era of COVID <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> keeping you on your toes your story is remarkable, Danielle, and, and I really appreciate you sharing it because we know so many people who are going through the struggle of infertility, and we just don't know what works for some people and what works for others. Yeah. So to hear your story, it's really interesting because it's a combination of, uh, you know, how you treated your physical body, um, alternative treatments, perhaps, you know, mm-hmm. listening to your intuition. Um, how do you feel now? Like once you had your, your, your two kids, do you feel that, you know, did you want to have more? Did you know that it was just right? Like, can you describe a little bit more to me how you're feeling after, you know, you've conceived and delivered two healthy children? I feel, uh, very blessed. And I think that both of them are a miracle. If I look back now and see everything that happened, we really shouldn't have been able to have either one of them. Mm-hmm. And so when people actually come to me and they tell me they're struggling, I explain and I appeal to that side of having faith in it. Like it, of course, like my story is not necessarily one that is going to be the case for everyone. And yeah. in infertility, it may not be. Um, we were very lucky, but I feel very blessed and I think this is part of the reason why I try to share my story as much as I can, because if it gives even one person hope that they too have a positive outcome, or if it helps to support them during their dark time, then uh, I feel like I've done my job. Because during that time, it was I had one friend who I relied very heavily on and she understood my struggles, but many didn't. They didn't, a lot of my friends didn't have kids at the time. Cause mm-hmm. again, uh, they're only starting to have kids now. And so I was quite alone in this time for people. Infertility is very, it can be a very dark time and you don't know who to turn to. You don't know how to talk about it. You don't know how to share it. And people, quite honestly, don't know how to respond either. So it's really important for me to tell my story and to give back in that way so that I can help others, even if it's just feeling that they can hold within themselves that hope that they are going to to have a happy ending. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's really important. I work for many years in the mental health landscape and, you know, we encounter all kinds of situations in my world. Um, Infertility is quite common. 
because, you know, for couples to go through it, number one, it's very hard on the relationship. Mm -hmm. And number two, it's very hard for people to make sense of what's happening to them, right? When those around them are having kids and it's harder for they themselves to have kids. And, you know, it's just a natural human instinct, which also leads to that isolation that you're talking about. How do you feel about the way that people describe it as being, um, you know, making room for a child in your life or for children in your life will help you to mentally prepare for uh, conceiving, if you've ever heard about that. Because that's something that's very common and I hear making it all the time. Making room for it in your life. So, for example, if there's a couple that's super busy, maybe don't really have time for themselves, but they're trying to conceive okay. and have a child. How do you make sense of that for people when they're going through this type of a of an of an instance in their life? It may not be what you want to hear, but I call BS on that <laughs> because there is that common it's a common misconception. If you just calm down, if you just relax, if you just meditate, if you yeah. just do all the things, then that's, it's going to work out for you. And I'm sorry, but it's not, that's Mm -hmm. like, maybe it's part of it. And if you live a lifestyle that is careless and you're partying till 3am three days during the week, or you're drinking heavily and you're not taking care of your body. Well, sure. Okay. Part of that can play into it, but I really, I think that it's, it does a disservice to our mental health or to the person that's going, that's dealing with it because then they feel like they're the problem. It's like, if I just did this, then I could have this. And the reality is it's not true. Mm -hmm. And so I think it, it sets people up for failure and it puts more strain on relationships because that other person, you know, you're looking at your partner and saying, well, you need to stop doing X, Y, and Z so that we have a fighting chance. Yeah. And yes, okay, it's one layer of it, but I feel like it just adds so much added pressure. And here these people are supposed to calm down and relax and, you know, do all the things. But when you have that at the back of your mind, I think it's just, it's an added layer of stress that I think people who are, they mean well, And they don't know. It's one of those, like, when someone passes away and you don't know what to say, right? Yeah. It's one of those. They just, they they really don't know what to say. And they're trying to find a way to say that they care or that they hear you or they see you, but they don't have the language to do so. And so it comes out in these passive aggressive things and they end up doing more harm than good. But because you feel isolated already, you're not going to turn around and say, well, actually, that's counterproductive, or actually, that makes me feel upset, or, you know, I can't do that, or I'm already trying all those things, and it's still not happening. Absolutely. I I, I wanted to touch on that, because it's something that I hear out there so often, but it's not that easy right? It's not Mm -hmm. that easy for the person going through it. And there's a lot of physiological things that are going on as well that are contributing to the situation. So I I think it's a really important point to talk about so that people who are listening and are going through what what you went through understand that they're not alone and that this is something that you are feeling yourself. Very much so. So normally, you know, at at close to the end of each podcast, Danielle, we dedicate the podcast to somebody who's not survived. Did you want to dedicate this podcast to somebody that you know? I like to dedicate it to my grandma who actually passed away during SARS. 
And um, we never got to say goodbye to her because it's the same crazy thing that we're going through. She went into the hospital. Yeah. She was sick and she never made it out, but we never got to say goodbye. And um, during my whole journey, I feel like she has been with me and she's been present. And when I sat there with my needles in me, there was a part of me that channeled her, so to speak, and the strength mm-hmm. that she had when she was here. So if I could dedicate it to anyone, I think it would be her. Oh, that's such a beautiful story. And you grew up with your grandmother, right? I did. I grew up with that one in particular. Um, I I was 19 when she passed away. Mm -hmm. And I remember as a kid going and sleeping over at her place. And, and it's funny now that we, you know, the world has sort of slowed down and we are able to hear the birds it reminds me of her and it takes me back to that place when I was four and we used to sit in the backyard um, early, early in the morning because they yeah. were early birds and yeah. listen to those birds. So that's thank lovely. you. Thanks so much for joining us today again, Danielle. Everyone, I will have Danielle's contact information and all the information about her business uh, underneath the podcast. And um, thanks so much again. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Calm After the Storm, Survivorship and Other Stories. Today's episode was brought to you by 15minutesaday.ca. We look forward to hearing from you again. Feel free to leave comments and suggestions in the message area below or to reach out to our team if you feel that you are a good candidate for appearing on Calm After the Storm.